is at this time, I'd like to invite you to take out your scriptures. Uh, it is also printed as well in your bulletin. Today's passage, and, and turn with me to Galatians 1. It is a joy for me to get to be here with you all uh, and to open God's word for you. And it's always a humbling thing as, the, as the, the man who stands before you to preach his word. The Lord always works in my life when I get to do this as well. This is the word of the Lord. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached to me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my father. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with them 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then, I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. Please pray with me. Father God, we thank you for your word, that it touches our lives as well as it has touched so many others before us, that you have built your Catholic church, the big C Catholic church around this world. May the preaching of your word today honor and glorify only you and exalt the risen Christ. We ask this in your name, amen. All right, so where we are at today in our passage, maybe some of you feel like I just jumped right in to a, a passage within Galatians. I actually have preached from Galatians about two months ago, and so hopefully you remember that, but that wouldn't be very fair of me to expect you to remember that, because I hardly even remember what I ate for dinner last night. So I want to remind you all a little bit of where we're at. So here we are moving through this book of Galatians, and we're looking at a missionary journey that Paul is writing a letter to a church at Galatia. That, that is modern Turkey, as we like to think of it today. And he's likely visited them in the last two to five years. It could be up to a decade, and as I said last time, there have been a lot of people who've written on this topic as to when Galatians was written. But the bigger issue at stake for us today is that this church at Galatia was turning to some other gospel. That they were asking questions about what to add to the gospel, or how can they make things more? How can they make the gospel bigger or better? 
So I want to remind you, last time I asked this question of you, what is true gospel clarity? And if you look at Galatians, it actually in the first few verses right before here today, right before verse 11, he just basically launches into what the gospel is. And he comes at the church at Galatia with basically a gospel presentation with his very introduction to the people, to this church. And he basically says to them that the gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ, that he died on the cross for sinners and was sent by the Father. And we see that explicitly in the verses right before this. And so he goes through and he makes this argument right out the gates, telling the people that you're going to be prone to turn away from what it is that is the gospel, from what is the true gospel, from what is the good news of Jesus Christ and the death and resurrection of him on the cross for our sins. So from there, we are now greeted with our passage today. And, and our passage that we just read really presents a brief picture, very brief picture, of the life of Paul, of, of his conversion, of the early part of his ministry and life as a Christian. And I think it asks a lot of questions for us. And I think when I read this, I really wonder, did Paul really change this much? And I can say things like, well, is this really what Galatians is all about? Is it really just about the gospel truly, explicitly, and nothing else? Well, possibly we might ask questions about what does it mean for me today? How can I apply this in my life? All of these are great and wonderful questions. But I think primarily this section of the text, he answers this first question of what true gospel clarity is. Then Paul moves into a second question which you have before you as well, that how does God call us? So like I said, we've heard about gospel clarity, what truly that gospel is. We're confronted with this question, how does God call us? Now I could go into sharing about my testimony. I could go into sharing about some outlandish person who has gone from a state of rebellion to a state of living under his grace and mercy of the cross of Jesus Christ. And that would be interesting, and, and, and I'm sure that you would enjoy it, but I think it would be so much more beneficial and so much more exciting to unpack and walk through the life of Paul as given through the scripture here and to unpack his testimony a little bit. For wherever it is that we find ourselves, we all do have a story of rebellion much like Paul. We do find that we have hard-hearted tendencies towards a merciful God. Now, whether we're four years old or 40 years old or 140 years old, we all have a story, and we all have much that we can learn from Paul today. And we would ultimately see from this that God gets the glory. We can see that as we read through this, plain as day, that this is about the glory of God, that he alone gets it, that it's not my story, it's not your story, that testimonies are good things, but the story of God is ultimately his glory, proclaimed to all people. So my hope in preaching to you today, this is my prayer, that you would delight in the knowledge and the freedom of knowing how God has applied this gospel in both Paul's life and yours.
that he has done that work. It's not man's gospel. It's not for us to add to the story or twist things or bring more to the table. Now we're going to see three truths this morning. And and thankfully you have them before you in, in your bulletins as well as your passage. So you can go ahead and look at those for a minute and see where it is that we will be going. But I believe that this is going to help us get a better picture and understand the life of Paul. The cost that he paid, the joy he received, but most importantly, the glory that God received because of his life. So without any further, please go ahead and look with me at your Bibles once again. And we're going to be in verses 11 and 12. And hear me say our first truth for us this morning is that the gospel comes from God himself. We see this in 11 and 12. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, what was going on in Galatia at this time? What was going on in this region? There's a lot of speculation, and there's thoughts and things about circumcision, and there's thoughts and things about other things that are possibly going on. But the bigger question is that people are moving away from the gospel. What is it that they're moving away from? And they're moving away from the truth that God has called us, that God has done this work, that he is the one who has raised Christ Jesus from the dead. It is the Father who has done this, so that those who by faith believe may be delivered from their sins. That's what's being said right here in these couple of verses. Now, Paul comes out a little defensive. I think we all see sort of a bit of a defensive nature in the way that he's, he's approaching this. At least I feel like it's defensive. But he has to give a justification for his life and a justification for his salvation in a way. Not, not an actual full justification for what God has done in his life, but he wants to explain to them his calling. He wants to explain to the people of God who he is, what has happened what God has done in his life. Now, I think that we're going to see two things related to our first truth for us this morning. First, that Paul preaches the gospel according to what God asks. He preaches the gospel according to what God asks. Now, implied in this, truly, is what I already stated, that there were some who were twisting the gospel, that there were some who were adding to it, that they were saying, let's return to some of the roots of Judaism, some of the roots of what it is that we came out of. But we know that this is the language that Paul has basically said throughout each of his letters as well. At the start of Romans 1, for instance, he he says, I am set apart for the gospel of God. I believe it's Romans 1.1. He does that elsewhere as well, through each of his letters, that it's set apart for the gospel of God, by God, for his gospel. So it didn't come from Paul in its origin, is what he's saying. So I would, he, he, I, would, I would lay before you, he's saying, I was with you a year or two or ten years ago, but you're twisting this gospel, and it's, you're taking what I have said and you're adding to it and putting on other teachers' thoughts. Don't do that, is what he's trying to say. Don't do these things. He's doing something that he's saying, you all are proclaiming a gospel that is contrary to what God asks. Now I want you to look at the second aspect that you see in these two verses. So look for a minute at your text. Our second aspect is that God calls and gives to Paul a direct revelation. Now we know and see this elsewhere in scriptures as well. We see this in places like Acts 9, that God has given a direct revelation 
And Jesus appeared to Paul on the road to Damascus. And I'd encourage you all to go out later and and read Acts 9 this afternoon. That'd be a great thing to do. I'd love to read it, but I don't believe I have time. But I was struck a couple of years ago when I was reading Acts 9 uh, under the preaching of another pastor that they were saying, look at the apostleship of Paul. And what you see there is this apostleship, this nature of him, that he truly is an apostle. And we see that because he had a direct revelation from Jesus himself. And that is what apostleship is. And so I want to just dwell on that for just a second. Because apostleship is something that I I know we hear and we've heard. And some churches will talk about apostleship and say, hey, well, some pastor was elevated to the office of apostle. And that, that is not the case. We don't see that in scriptures. What we see in scriptures is that those who are called to the office of apostle is that that is a direct confirmation from the Lord Jesus himself, that that is something that when churches today do that or are adding to that, they're adding something to the offices that the church provides, to the offices that God provides for his church, of of, of elder and deacon, of that of overseers of his church, that when we start adding things into this, right there is us mixing and bringing things in that are not according to his word, that are more. And I know that there are people who will argue that, well, Jesus came and directly visited us when he saved us. And they will say that that is what happened. But that is problematic because we, we, what we actually see in Acts 9, what we've seen with all of the other apostles who are called, is that the Lord Jesus himself physically comes to them and has dwelt with them and has been with them. So go read that later in Acts 9. It is problematic of what we are seeing, I think, in some churches today to teach something different here. Now, I know many of you believe this, and I know that many of you have no problem with this, but I say that as a warning about a small way that churches can begin to drift. It's about God. It's about he who builds his church. The full proclamation of a full gospel of Jesus Christ, given from God himself. It is the power of God for salvation to anyone who believes. It's not a mystery. There's not something hidden in it. And if you go back to verse 6, you see where this gospel comes from, that there is no other gospel, that Paul says there's no other gospel that you can look at, that we know this, that we believe this. So don't look and try to add something to the gospel when you present it to yourself first. When when you're reminding yourselves of the truths of Scripture and what it is that God has done, remember that it is God who called you through the gospel, that it is he who did the work in your life. Proclaim that boldly, that this gospel ultimately comes from God. Now this ultimately leads us to our second truth today. And this is what I want to to spend a a good bulk of our time in this morning. That the second truth, which also comes directly from our text, is that God transforms everything by his power. God calls us and he transforms everything by his power. Now, we're going to have to see that in a slightly bigger section. I, I have a few verses in front of us today that, that is a bit bigger landscape. My, my preaching professor would be mortified because the first time that I preached in his class, I had a, about a, a section of 10 or 12 verses. He said, oh, you can do three points from like one verse. And so we'd preach verse at a time, about one verse. But I think that if we don't extrapolate here to the slightly bigger text of seeing these three points about Paul's life related to this truth, that we're going to miss what the bigger picture is, what the bigger landscape is against the gospel, that we're going to see that there are three areas within 
God transforming everything by, and for, by his power and for his glory. First, we see in verses 12 through 14 that he talks about his prior life as a Jew. And so you can look at that and read that and think about that. And then you see again in the second section regarding this that it is a response of when he was called by God. And he kind of unpacks this picture. He talks about his prior life and his transformation and how things are different and how it was confirmed by God. And then third, he discusses his life after his conversion. We here see a reference to three years that he was set apart. Three years that he went into Arabia and returned again to Damascus after that. But it's this three years set apart period that, that is talked about. And again, you will see that in Acts 9. You'll see that as a, as a parallel story to what we are seeing and witnessing here in Galatians chapter 1. That would be so helpful for you to go and read later. But it's a quick sketch of Paul's life. About his transformation. And we see a man here who is so moved by God. He's truly transformed, transformed from his old ways his old way of life, an old way of thinking, to a new way of life. He's an apostle who's been called by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He's transformed from everything that he once believed in. He's transformed from being the man who, as he says, he was a persecutor of the church. He's transformed from what his flesh wants to do of wanting to continue by his power and his strength to build these things and to make his name, or even to really protect. I think we see that in his life, that he presides over, over Stephen in like Acts 7, over the stoning of Stephen. We see him there. We see these places that he's in positions of power. That He is a man who has had great responsibility. Now we know that he was trained under one of the top Jewish teachers, Gamaliel, and he's proclaiming the very things that were contrary to what his teachers would have wanted for him. He was on the right path in Judaism. But we get this picture of wrestling, I think. We get to see this picture of what it is that Paul has gone through and this transformation. That it's, he's almost walking through his story, that his, his, his journey of what the Lord has done with him here in these verses and he's saying that the very things that he once loved don't even compare. The traditions of his fathers, the tradition of his family, that he is transformed. The desires of his own heart have been transformed. Now, I think when we come face to face with a passage like this, we come face to face with what Jesus does in our life that he transforms people like Paul, that he transforms vessels from darkness to light, that he does this work, that it is his, for his glory, that he is merciful in doing these things, that there is not one inch, to, to, to think of Abraham Kuyper's quote, there's not one inch under all creation that the Lord does not scream mine, that it is his alone. And it transforms people like Paul to go from zealous on one end to zealous on the other. Now, we've all experienced this in some way, and I think that we see this in our own life, that when we often come to a saving faith, or there are moments and places that we can look to when God put the gospel in a deeper place into each of our hearts, that we say, oh, man, I look to that moment. I remember that moment when life was like this. Or do you remember how, how easy it was to walk 
and abide and to trust in Christ in that moment. And so maybe you're in that moment now. Maybe you're not in one of those moments at all right now. And you're saying, man, there is sin that is present in my life. There is sin and struggles that are going on still in my world. And I think we see that here, this three-year journey that we know that he trained, that he studied, that he looked to what God has done. But we see elsewhere that Paul talks about what is wrong with him. In Romans 7, he talks about his sin. We know that he got into disagreements and arguments with others who were in the first century church to the point that he divided the church. So there was sin in his life. We're not saying that Paul was sinless. But we are saying that he was transformed fully by Jesus Christ. We have heard that he has basically rejected his former life in Judaism and is now living under the full gospel of Jesus Christ. That he has been transformed and yet he wrestles with his sin. I, I, I believe here in this text you see this. I know that you see that throughout his life elsewhere in scriptures and what he has recorded. And so he, we see this picture of, of Paul saying he's a man. That he is just a man like each and every single one of us that struggles with these things, but yet has been fully transformed. And so we remember that and we look to that, that we have been transformed as we fight against sin, as we move against the powers of evil in this world, only by the power of Christ Jesus, only by the good news of his gospel. In this... I think we can also see that there are intelligent people, eloquent speakers, who are intelligent and kind and friendly, who will ultimately lead us away from truth. Now that is something that did happen in my life, and I know happens in each and every single person in this room at different seasons. That there was a season where there were good, kind, nice, intelligent people who were pouring into my life as I was, I thought, preparing for gospel ministry that truly led me to a different gospel, to something that was the gospel plus or the gospel minus certain things, take out certain parts of the gospel. that You don't have to believe the fullness. Now that is a travesty. For they're kind people. They were kind. They were nice. They did it with smiles and they did it with winsome arguments and it confused me. And there is confusion that will come at each and every one of us this side of eternity. For what we proclaim truly is folly to this world. That the world will look at this and say, that doesn't make sense. It's contrary to what I desire. Well, absolutely. We as Christians know that. That our flesh screams that we want to do something different. That it desires to do something different. But it is God who moves into us and that he calls us and transforms us in such a way that we are free from every sinful aspect of ourselves. It is a call to die. That we are called to die to ourselves in such a way, like Paul did, that it may come at great expense. For it does come at great expense. For he was persecuting Christians. And instead, he turns and begins to study the word for three years and is set apart and comes back. And now he's a man who has great truths. And so with that, consider wherever you're at, you have great truths to share. He learned and studied great truths where he was at that day. But he looked to the confirmation 
from God. We see that here in these passages. It was confirmation from God. He wasn't looking to those intelligent, kind, nice people to confirm his faith. He wasn't looking to those kind, intelligent, nice ones to say, oh, yeah, 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 you are doing well. You're doing good. No, he turned to the scriptures. He turned to what he knew was true. For he'd had a revelation. He'd had a contact with the living Christ himself, with each and every one of us who has by faith believed, has had contact with the living Christ, that he has come. And the spirit now lives within you. So we look at this, and we dwell on this, and we think about this, and we say, okay, well, I can see, like Paul, that he's free from the weight of his sin, the weight of trying to keep the law perfectly. We are free from that same thing as well. But by demonstration, and what he has walked out, still with sin, still in places, as we, as we just talked about from elsewhere in scriptures, that he either has become a lunatic, or what he's proclaiming is folly to the world, but it is absolutely true. Now there's hope for the gospel changes ordinary men and women like you and me. There is true hope found in this passage. For it reminds us that we have been freed from the weight of sin and that it no longer has power. That the enemy, that Satan himself does not have power over death anymore in your life that you have been transformed despite the fact that you're wrestling, despite the fact that you see places that are broken, and you say, how long, O oh Lord? How long until you return again? That needs to be your cry. That needs to be your prayer. I believe that's what we see with Paul's life and this movement that we see here, that it drives us to this place of seeing that we are transformed, and it's this already but not yet. Now this brings us from our second point to our third truth for us this morning. And our third truth is this. That when God calls us, God receives all glory. When God calls us, he receives all glory. We see this here in the final couple of verses. We see this talking about here in verse 23. 22 and 23. And still unknown in person, the churches of Judea, Judea that are in Christ, they only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And here it is. And they glorified God because of me. So when we are transformed, transformed like Paul is, it leads to a place where we don't look to the good works of our hands, that we don't look to the good works of Paul's hands. The church there did not look to his works, did not say, hey, Paul, thank you. They didn't write some letter and say, hey, thank you for not persecuting us anymore. We really appreciate it. You're a good guy. No, what they did is they gave praise to God. They gave praise to the living God. They glorified God because of me. And Paul, by his admission, by this letter, says the same thing. They glorified God because of what God had done in his life, because of how God had brought him to faith. And he was preaching the faith that once he had tried to destroy, and all glory went to God. All glory goes to Christ Jesus. Now we think and we see this, and we can look at these places, and we know that it screams of the glory of a good God. 
And we see testimonies in our lives as well as others that tell us the certainty of the mercy of a God who gives grace to every single one of us who by faith believes. And we look and see in this passage, though, that there's this incredible picture of, of, of mercy that we get to say, okay, wow, Paul's testimony is glorious. Each and every one of you have a glorious testimony. Whether you don't have a single day that you don't remember without Christ. Those are one of my favorite testimonies. When I talk to, 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 to youth and children, and, and, and they know that Jesus has died for them. And there's not a day that has gone by in their life that they haven't lived outside of a family that hasn't proclaimed that, that hasn't known that. That maybe there are times in their life that they have come to understand that more deeply as young children. But they have clung to that truth, that they're a part of the covenant family. But it's incredible, too, the testimonies at the other extreme as well. And we often think about those, and we look to those testimonies and go, oh, you know, oh, they, they've got such a, a great testimony. They've got such a strong testimony. Well, no, everyone has a strong testimony. Everyone talks about how they have been transformed as a creature who once hated God to someone who once now loves him, to one who has now received mercy and grace in the richest of ways. That he is the one who is worthy of all honor and praise and adoration. Glory is to be lifted up to that God, not to ourselves. So when we declare our testimonies, it is helpful. It can be a good tool. But it is something that is just that as a tool that is to point to the living God and scream and point at his faithfulness at whatever extreme of where your testimony falls under earthly terms. It is glorious because it screams of his glory, his goodness, his grace. Now we get that. We get to look to a God who is beyond anything that we could ever dream of or imagine. That we get to enjoy his presence forever. That is what is on offer for us here. As we look at this passage, we can see that it is God who calls and confirms and justifies and glorifies us for his glory. Now, we don't get to be puffed up because of our salvation. We don't get to, to, to sit in the rightness because we got it right. No, we get to declare that he was kind and gracious to sinners like you and me that he was merciful to sinners like you and me. That with every breath of who they are, this church, these churches here that are mentioned in, in Galatians 1, because of Paul's testimony, they glorified God. Because of our testimony, people should glorify God. The church around the world should glorify God. And we, brothers and sisters, should glorify God as we hear and see what he has done in building his church. All right, so we look to this now. And we've seen three truths today. So what, what are some of our takeaways? What are things that we can consider? We saw these three truths that the God ultimately, that God ultimately calls us through the gospel. That he is the one who calls and transforms everything. And that he receives all glory. That it is not for us. But I would say that this touches down in very real places where we look to and say, we need to be mindful of truth. That we need to be mindful of where the gospel is drifting. Where secondary things are becoming primary things. And tertiary things have moved to the foreground. We look at those things and we pray for those things. And we always focus on the gospel of the good news of Jesus Christ. We study those things. We consider those things. We grow in those things. 
The Lord sanctifies us. He is kind in that way. But second, the other thing that we look at is we see that we have been transformed ourselves. We have been transformed. It's not something that we are hoping that one day. So we remember that sin has lost its power. That death has lost its sting. That is what we remember. That is what we proclaim. So proclaim that to yourself when you're struggling. When you're struggling to remember that. When you're, when you're saying, how long, God, will it be until you return? Proclaim that to yourself on the other end of the spectrum. On the good days. Remember that on the good days. And third, I want you to find hope and freedom in him and his word. Where do we find truth? What's here? It's in his word. We find truth and freedom in his word. I say that often, but it's the only place that is fully true, that is fully right, that is inerrant, that has no mixture of it. We go there. We feast on that. We study it. We ask the who, what, when, where, why questions of the text of what God was saying then for his people, what he has said through Christ through all time, and what he has said and how he's applying it to our lives. For he will transform us. He'll change us. He changes his church. As we ask these questions, I think what we will find ourselves doing is getting a deeper appreciation for the gospel. We'll find ourselves appreciating the grace that he has given us all the more. There are places that are sinful in my life that I'm aware of, and I'm sure that each of you are aware of that a year ago, or five years ago, or ten years ago, or thirty years ago, you would have never dreamed that you'd be convicted about. But praise God, he's convicting you. Give him all glory. Point to him. Remember that and that battle. Remember that he has already freed you. And rest in that. Trust that. Return to your first love. Your master. Who truly did die for you. And as our lives are on display. The church will see his glory. And you will see his glory. And others far from her door will also see the glory of this God. As he draws people to himself. He will get all glory. He is building his church. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word that you've given this testimony of Paul as an example that you saved the most unlikely of people, that you've saved each of us unlikely converts and you've placed us into this covenant of grace and have given faith in us to believe that Jesus truly is the redeemer and savior of this world. Help our church to trust you more, to return to you our first love, to abide in you, what transformational love that is. So Father, transform our hard hearts through the blood of Jesus and continue to show us this glorious freedom that you have already applied and giving us your righteousness. We ask this for the sake of your glory alone. Amen.